Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Slash Home Daily. On today's episode, we're going to go into the mailbag and answer some of your questions. This is Slash Home Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writers, Huaytran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. So uh, we were recording this early. Uh, as you're hearing this, HT is away in the land of New Zealand. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, we're going to get to some of your questions. These are some questions that have been sitting in my email box for quite some time. Uh, let's get started with uh, the first question. And, uh, by the way, you can send questions to the mailbag by sending them to peter at slashfilm.com. And if you send a question... Please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention it on the air. Mike S., who we, we don't know where he's from, he asks, what is your favorite genre and what is your favorite subgenre? So uh, let's start with Chris. Chris, what is your favorite genres? Uh, it would have to be horror is my favorite genre, and the, the subgenre would be specifically Stephen King adaptations within the horror genre. Um, I mean, I really like pretty much every horror subgenre, yeah, like ghosts and all that stuff, but Stephen it, King is, is my big thing. Is there a horror subgenre that you can't stand? <sighs> I don't really like aliens i mean i know that's more sci-fi but anytime they bring aliens into the mix unless it's you know the actual alien franchise i'm not really big on that <laughs> uh okay let's move on to ht ht what is your favorite genre and favorite subgenre so my favorite genre is probably i'm gonna cheat a little bit here and say fantasy slash sci-fi um <laughs> probably more along the lines of like these lush fantasy sci-fi films that Gonna sound really cheesy here. Speak to the inherent goodness of humanity, uh, and my subgenre will probably be uh, fairy tales because I've always really adored fairy tales, and I really love films that dig deep into that sort of fear that fairy tales come from and the urban myth that they come from as well. So uh, that's that's the ones that I like. Uh, films like uh, um, Pan's Labyrinth, for example, fits this perfectly. 
I feel like so far, if you have been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, both of these answers have been so on brand. <laughs> um, so, I, I, you know, not even looking at what Brad's choice is, I, I assume I know what it is. Brad, what is your favorite genre? Yeah, speaking of on brand, my favorite <laughs> genre is comedy uh, for the overall genre. And within the comedy genre, um, I like this isn't necessarily a genre, but I get, it's kind of a, a type the, uh, or a subgenre, rather. Um, I like comedies that are self aware and meta. Uh, referring to kind of like the rules and tropes of movies themselves, but not necessarily in a parody way. Like I do love movies like Airplane and They Came Together and The Naked Gun where they're clearly mocking, you know, a certain genre in that way. But I also like movies like 21 Jump Street where they make reference to it, but it's not a direct parody necessarily. And it's still like a straightforward uh, action comedy or something like, uh, this is the end where everyone's playing themselves, and so they're kind of mocking each other, but also like playing exaggerated and playing exaggerated versions of themselves. Can, can you give us an example of like one of these kind of meta comedies? Um, well, like Twenty One Jump Street is one of them for sure. Uh, like they're they're constantly making, you know, reference to the fact like, like of the tropes of the movie without acknowledging that they're actually in a movie. Yeah. Um, like stuff like that. Um, and even uh, the sequels to that, acknowledging kind of like the aspect of it, it being a sequel. Yeah. They, yeah, they, they, they kind of do that in a meta way. Yeah. Doing the same thing over over and over again. Um, what else? Um, other movie. I, like now I can't even think. Like, I was well, thinking well, while, of- while you're thinking, I'll say what my favorite genre in, is. And I, I wrote down big event movies. Is that a genre of film? Like it's a type uh, of film. A type of film. Uh, another one I want to say is films that world building films. I guess that's not a genre either. Um, I guess I would have to settle into sci-fi. I love sci-fi movies. Uh, my favorite subgenre is uh, coming of age dramas or dramedies. Um, you know the kind of stuff that plays at Sundance and stuff like that. They, those are really literally my. My my favorite. Uh, oh, Wayne's World is a perfect example for mine. Oh yeah, that is a great one. Yeah, um, one of my favorites. Okay, let's move on to our second question here. Uh, Colin from San Jose uh, writes in: What are your, some of your fa- your top Disney Channel original movies from the nineteen nineties? Um, I'll start this one off because I I didn't have Disney Channel in the nineteen nineties. I always wanted Disney Channel, but uh, it was never part of my cable package, so I didn't really watch any of those. I did uh, watch a couple of the 1980s ones. Uh, there was a, a direct-to-TV sequel to The Parent Trap called The, Baron- the Parent Trap 2, and it was numeral 2, not number 2, because it was classy back then in the 80s. And... Um, and I, I saw that probably way more times than I care to admit because my mom loved The Parent Trap and this was a horrible direct-to-TVD, uh, direct-to-TV sequel. Um, but the one I would probably say that is my favorite, uh, and this is also another 80s one, is this movie called Not Quite Human. I'm not sure if you guys have seen this, but it uh, it starred uh, Ellen Thicke played this scientist who uh, creates an android that looks just like a human teenage boy and uh, he basically adopts him as a son 
and uh, you know, there's a whole adventure that ensues. But I, I, I don't know why, but I think this was always playing when I was a kid on uh, Disney Channel. I'd watch it over and over again. Have Have any of you seen this movie? No, that sounds strange. <laughs> a man, what is it? He makes a teenage boy. Is that what he does? He, finds it. it no he creates an android so it's an android but it looks like a human teenage boy and he like enrolls him in high school and like you know eventually people Wait, find out again? it's called not quite human it sounds i, think, I don't yeah, know i haven't heard of this <laughs> i mean i guess it's, it's sort of like well, the pinocchio story but it's the fact that it's like a teenage boy makes it kind of weird like <laughs> i'm going to build a teenage boy <laughs> well here's the weird thing is this this movie or this tv movie was so successful that they actually made uh, two sequels, Not Quite Human 2 and Not Quite, uh, still Not Quite Human is the third movie. So, uh, I don't I've know. never heard of this movie. <laughs> you, actually, HD, I think you would enjoy it. It's it's cheesy in the way I think you would you would dig. Uh, HD, what, uh, did you enjoy any of the 90s Disney Channel movies? Yeah, so um, I might have mentioned this before, but I didn't grow up with cable in my house, but I still managed to see a few uh, Disney Channel movies because thanks to neighbors or friends or uh, babysitters. So um, I liked Smart House a lot, I remember, and that was a film in which uh, this family moves into this smart house, which has you know all of this these fancy gadgets and an artificial intelligence which can basically uh, anticipate any of their needs but this artificial intelligence played by Katie Segal the great um, is uh, starts to develop sort of consciousness and wants to take over um, as the mother of the two young boys who are missing their dead mother and uh, basically terrorizes the family in the house it's really it gets quite Wait, sad towards the end is this a horror huh? movie comedy horror it's actually a comedy movie i think um but there's a you know they have to fight off the house i guess it's kind of a horror movie but it doesn't play like a horror movie like he like she make, wants to throw them a party because she thinks that what that's what moms do but then the <laughs> party goes out of control and then later she like traps them in their house and you don't feel it doesn't feel like a horror movie but now that i think about it it is kind of a horror movie but the end is um quite emotional and kind of goes back to like their their dead mom and everything so it's a surprisingly really like complex and good film especially for a disney channel movie see i feel like i'm imagining like the bad blumhouse version of this made today and i i'm sure it's nothing like that no it's very touching it's disney channel version of it so it's yeah. like oh love saves the day kind of thing and at, um, at, at Disneyland, they had the house, the the home of tomorrow. So this is like the home of tomorrow gone wrong, yeah. uh, which is kind of in their brand. Uh, did you watch any of the other movies? Yeah. So I also watched Halloween Town, which also came out in the 90s. And that was uh, one that was so popular. It spawned two sequels, I think, Halloween, well, Return to Halloween Town and then Halloween Town 3. And this one starred uh, Debbie Reynolds, actually. She, well, she was the older grandma in this film. And the young star was Kimberly J. Brown. And it was about a girl who discovers that she comes from a family of witches. And they have to go to Halloween Town. And her grandmother is the the witch who knows everything. And uh, I don't really remember what happens. I think it's similar to Nightmare Before Christmas in which they have to save the town from something. But <laughs> yeah, it's fun. They go to like a whole town that's just like strictly about Halloween and witchcraft. So it's it's a good film. And um, I, 
I probably have seen the sequels at some point too. They might have all blend together, but those are good ones. Um, and then, of course, the one that I most associate with is not from the 90s, but from the early 2000s, and that's the High School Musical trilogy, which, yes, I do own on DVD. <laughs> uh, a bit of trivia here. Uh, before Ryan Johnson you know, made his career as a filmmaker with Brick, he was working at Disney and marketing or publicity, and he worked on uh, the Disney Channel movies, including Halloween Town. So, uh yeah, mm. so he helped uh, market those films. Uh, Brad, do you have any uh, fondness for Disney Channel original movies? I had to go and look at the list for Disney Channel original movies because I couldn't remember any. And I looked and I have literally never seen a Disney Channel original movie. And that's mostly because I was a Nickelodeon kid. For whatever reason, I never really watched Disney Channel um, I was I watched Nickelodeon most of the time, so I was always watching Nicktoons and shows like Are You Afraid of the Dark and Salute Your Shorts on uh, SNCC and all that. And so, uh, yeah, I, I seriously have no uh, no choice here because I haven't seen a single one of them. So if I were going to choose a Nickelodeon movie, uh, I would go with Good Burger because, man, it's not a good movie, but I love it just for the pure nostalgia of it. And that's totally on brand, answering the question with a totally different answer from a different question uh, to suit your needs. But uh, let's move on to Chris. Uh, Chris, did, did you see any of the Disney Channel original movies? I, I'm in the same boat where I didn't really ha- – I actually don't think I ever had the Disney Channel. And if I did, I never watched it. Um, but I did like this Disney movie. I think it was on ABC, not the Disney Channel. But it was a Disney made-for-TV movie from the 80s, not the 90s called Mr. Boogity and there was another sequel called I think Mr. Boogity 2 or something like that but <laughs> it was it was uh it was about this family they move into this old Victorian house and it's haunted by this uh ghost who's like kind of dressed like a pilgrim and he has this really disgusting face and it was great you know for me you know as a kid I loved horror growing up and I loved anything involving ghosts so this was fantastic because Mr. Boogity was uh kind of kind of creepy looking and he had like you know a melty face and there were like there was a ghost mom and her son were also in the house i think mr boogity was like keeping them prisoner and the dad was like an inventor so he had all these wacky inventions that didn't work kind of like gremlins i don't know it was a lot of fun and they made a sequel and i used to have that on vhs that i taped off tv and i used to just watch it constantly so there you have it mr (laughs) boogity was the sequel called Mr. Boogity 2 Electric Boogity Boo? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm, no, I wish, no. <laughs> Actually, it was, I just looked up, it was called Bride of Boogity, so there you have oh, it. Wow. That's amazing. That's a missed opportunity. Uh <laughs> I, I actually really miss the uh, the trope of '80s movies where they always had inventors who made inventions that like would always like not work. I don't like know. The Rube Goldberg machines. Yeah, kind of thing. and those kind of things. Yeah. Um, okay. Our next question is, uh, you know, I think last week I suggested that there should be a zombie movie where all the babies in the world just become zombies. So it's like, you know, we're all just fighting zombies. We're like kicking zombies and. <laughs> Like baby zombies. I know it's it's so uh, politically incorrect. But uh, James W. wrote in, uh, closest thing I can think to of a killer, uh, zombie killer kids movie is the 2008 film The Children. I actually remember it being pretty fun. Uh, Chris, you are a resident horror expert. Uh, have you seen this movie? 
I have. It's it's pretty good. It's kind of like the birds in that just for one day for literally no reason the kids just start uh, turning on their parents. It's not like all the kids in the world. It's a very like small scale film. It's like a family at a house and their friends, and it's like in the winter. It's pretty good. It, it's not you know I don't I I think fun is the wrong word because it's kind of like it's very it's played very seriously and dramatically, and it's not like. It's not like you're describing where they're they're running around kicking kids in the head. That doesn't happen in this, but yeah, yeah I have seen it. Yeah, I'm looking for World War Z, but with baby zombies. That's what I want. Um, okay, it's never gonna happen. Uh, okay, Nicholas E from Chicago Heights, Illinois writes in, "Hey guys, I was wondering which movies provoke a great emotional response for you." Whether it be something that makes you feel happy, sad, angry, etc., as long as it makes you feel something great, uh, keep up the great work. Uh, big show of the fan. Uh, a big, a big fan of the show, <laughs> not big show of the fan. Uh, I'll start this off. Uh, you know, I am a. Uh, it's very easy to get me to cry in movies. I think, and so much so that I feel like I can't consider a movie great unless it like gets me to tear up. Uh, because it just so happens so often. I'm just like a softy. Uh, I think this is why you don't like comedies. No, <laughs> maybe he can cry from laughter. Yeah, yeah. No, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But I, I would say the best example of this is the movie I grew up as a, 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 a watching as a kid. And that's E.T. Steven Spielberg's film, which you know has so has so many emotions. You know, it has that sense of wonder and joy and fun, and also uh, <laughs> a sadness in a way that I think even like the Pixar films don't do today. Like it really like uh, hitting hitting you in the gut as a kid um chris uh you also et is one of yours as well right yeah i have et and really most spielberg movies in i mean the reason i love movies is because of steven spielberg just you know because you know his early films and even his later films they just have such wonderment in that you know he understands the the language of cinema better than 90 nine point nine percent of filmmakers so he he's very good at eliciting emotion from you just you know with his imagery and you know the the music and all that stuff and another one that's it's a big one for me is um the lord of the rings trilogy not the hobbit films which uh let's pretend they don't exist the lord of the rings trilogy though especially fellowship of the ring there's something very lived in about that movie that I find very magical. And I, I tend to rewatch it every year around fall, which is coming up. It's just a very good fall autumnal sort of uh, film. And uh, just the, the world that movie creates feels yeah. very genuine. And I, I like, you know, getting lost in it, even though I'm not a fan of like the books and I'm not even a big fan of fantasy in general, but there's just something away about the way that movie's constructed that really gets to me. And I don't think you have to tell us to pretend that the Hobbit movies don't exist. I think that's just how we live. That's just normal. <laughs> yes. Uh, Brad, what uh, what um, are some movies that bring out emotion in you? Um, I've always been a sucker for like troubled romance or romances that are unrequited or like on the verge of being unrequited and then kind of work out at the end. Like um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is one that comes to mind. Um, I, re I was really moved by sleeping with other people. It's definitely an R-rated comedy, but there's also a lot of genuine emotion in it because of Jason Sudeikis and Alison Brie. Um, like Crazy is another one. 
the Before Sunrise trilogy, I love because of how the romance evolves and, you know, how there's, like, it's a, a perfect depiction of, like, the relationship and how it can go from, like, on the rocks to being, you know, wild and passionate. Uh, so, yeah, stuff like that always kind of always pulls in my heartstrings. H.T., uh, what, what movies, uh, you know, hit you emotionally? I like movies that I'm also a big crier too, Peter. I tend to really evaluate movies as much uh, on emotion as I do based on like how well the movie is made. And um, I cry over a lot of movies, but I like movies that take me to the depths of despair and then bring me back with uh, a semblance of hope. So A Little Princess was one uh, that really affected me as a kid. I watched it a lot growing up and that's an Alfonso Cuaron film that adapts a I think Francis Hodge Burnett story about a young orphan who is uh, or young girl who is who becomes orphaned after her father dies and is basically like cinderella into working for this the this girl school and uh, but she still has a very optimistic outlook and it's just a it's such a beautiful film and makes me cry every time. Um, one that I just, that I watched and remember very distinctly making me just gush out tears, which was Bridge to Terabithia, which is a strange movie for a lot. And it's the most recent one too, but I remember watching it and just like tears were falling out so hard that I couldn't see the screen. And that was, I think that like a lot of these films kind of speak to sort of a, a loss of innocence in a way, something that I feel is just terribly effective affecting for me just because that is something that uh, is um, almost universal in a way. So um, another one is I really like bittersweet romances, kind of along the lines of what Brad was talking about before Sunset's a big one for me, as well as most recently Call Me By Your Name, which didn't make me cry um, like gushing tears as the other ones did, but definitely left me with this just heavy feeling in the pit of my stomach that was almost transportative. Yes, and uh, Andrew H. from Cambridgeshire, UK, writes in, because we, we were talking about, uh, you know, our thoughts on physical media and, go, you know, everybody going to digital and streaming. Uh, he says that while he is resigned to the fact that one day physical media may die, he still thinks the picture and sound quality of Blu-ray will always be better than digital downloads slash streaming. Uh I'm also a fan of special features and commentary tracks. Also, a couple years ago, I started collecting Steelbook Blu-ray editions, which are often limited runs. They have unique, exclusive artwork and usually do not lose their value. Uh, Admittedly, some of these editions can be expensive, but they're definitely worth purchasing for your favorite films. And there's a clear demand for these special editions as they usually sell out within hours of being released. Um... I did want to respond because I am the guy that's, you know, I think I'm one of the people that's in the future here being like, you know, physical media is going to go away. Uh, that he says that he, uh, that uh, the picture and sound quality of Blu ray will always be better than a digital download streaming. I don't think that's the case. I think, you know, five years from now, you will see 4K being better than the 4K Blu rays, but I could be wrong. Um, but let's talk about the steelbooks because that's what this is about. Uh, you know, I don't collect Blu-rays really anymore. I have, you know, a little collection. Uh, but, uh, Brad, I know you are a huge collection of physical media. Do you collect steelbooks? 
Uh, I don't necessarily have a collection of steelbooks, and I don't really go out of my way to get them. And that's mostly because oftentimes when I see the artwork on steelbooks, I'm not particularly enthused or impressed by it, or I'm like, oh man, I got to have that version of the movie. I, normally, I like the, the regular cover art is, is fine to me, and, and oftentimes better, in my opinion. Um, but there are some cool ones that I do have that I picked up specifically because they were uh, an awesome design for the case. Um, I have the steelbook of Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, which looks like Peter Quill's Walkman. And I have the steelbook for Doctor Strange, uh, which it looks like the Book of Vishanti, Book of the Vishanti from uh, the movie. Uh, so those are my, those are my two favorite ones. I know I have a few others, but those are the two that stick out to me and that, that I specifically bought because uh, that was the only way you could get them like that. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but usually these steelbooks are like released uh, like by like one re- retailer, so you have to go to like Best Buy to get the specific steelbook of something. And, like, I know Mondo has done some Steelbook, like, artwork, but it's usually, like, you know, it's released by some store in the U.K. that, you you know, it's it's hard for us Americans to, to get access to. Uh, Chris, I know you're also a huge fan of physical media. Do, do you have any Steelbooks? I don't. I think the only one I have is, like, The Departed. I have that in a Steelbook. I, I've never really gone out of my way to get Steelbooks, even though I have a huge... Uh, perhaps too huge Blu-ray collection. It's at the point where I'm going to have to buy a new house, I think, to fit all how this many, stuff. How many do you have, Chris? I've never actually counted, but it's way too. I mean, I, it's way too much. I'm sure my wife is furious at me at this point. Yeah, I have. I have a, a large collection too, and it's it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know Dave Chen, who runs the Slash Filmcast, like, uh, he's at the point uh, that his wife has him on a uh, one-in, one-out uh, scenario. So, like... That yeah. sounds so difficult. Yeah, but you, you, you're... That's you're, like a social experiment, actually. Well, you're curating your collection, your perfect collection. You only have this much room. I have... I've thrown away all my cases. I keep my blu-rays in like these sleeves like in a drawer i have like hundreds of blu-rays like in this like kind of like almost like card catalog it's a pretty uh condensed way to fit everything and i'm sure i'll never be able to sell the blu-rays because i don't have the the uh you know the big plastic cases and i don't have any steel books uh hd do you have any steel books i had never heard of steel books until just now so <laughs> i do not wow okay um i know um uh Silas Lesnick, um, who is a, a fellow film journalist, um, he has gone out of his way to get a steelbook version of every movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, which apparently has proven to be difficult for had proven to be difficult for some of them. But I believe his he has a full collection of them, and there are some other steelbooks that he's gone out of his way to buy as well. It's pretty insane. I remember when I was collecting DVDs and I had thousands of DVDs. Uh, you know, I didn't really have any steelbook. I don't know if steelbooks were a thing back then, but uh, I used to be kind of I, I loved and was partly annoyed by like, you know, you'd be by like Evil Dead. Was it two that came in the necro like the the actual book of the dead? Oh yeah, and it was like like those things were like hard to put on a shelf. And especially, like, when something came in a collectible, like, you know, Terminator 2 came in, like, an endoskeleton, and you can't, like, put it with the rest of your things, and, like, the discs come out of the endoskeleton, so, like, you can't, like, put... Oh, no. Does that uh, does that bother you at all, Brad? Uh, no. I have... Well, I, 
I've never bought any that are clums that, that that have like an odd package shape like that. But, or except the ones that I do have, they're meant to like sit on a shelf in a cool way. Um, like so, the so, so you don't have like the Dark Knight Bat Pod edition. God no, no I do, but but I do have the Alien Quadrilogy uh, that comes inside the the Alien Egg, um, where like the whole movie collection fits inside the base of it, and I have. Um, I have the, the first Star Trek, uh, the 2009 reboot on Blu-ray, and the disc came inside uh, a plastic thing shaped like the Enterprise. And what's the other cool one that I have? Oh, I have the Planet of the Apes collection that fits inside of a, a bust uh, of uh, the ape from the original Planet of the Apes. Chris, what, what about you? Does that make you OCD, like having those collectible versions? No, I actually hate those because I like everything to be on like a shelf and I like it to be I like alphabetize everything because I'm insane and I don't like the idea of like I can't fit like a giant head on the shelf next to <laughs> the other discs so yeah I, I tend to avoid those like I remember a, a while ago when I was still buying the Simpsons uh, DVDs they, they started putting them out in these, these like clamshell cases shaped like the characters' heads, and I just hated oh, that. Because, I remember those. Like, wasn't one just, of them like furry or something? I remember, like, it was like, yeah, it was yeah, awful. I hated that. And then, like, there was actually an outcry, and they stopped. They started releasing them in the normal cases too. So, I've yeah. also been really bothered by when they they started changing the cases that TV shows came in to like make them more conservative. Now, I, I don't hate the idea of that, but Wait, like, what, for- what do you mean more conservative? Like they make the packaging smaller and more uh, economical, so that the di- they, they they figured out how to fit the discs in basically a smaller case. So, like for example, um, the first uh, couple, or a couple or a few seasons of Saturday Night Live, because they re- they released the first five seasons over like the ser- uh, the span of a few years, they came in a certain kind of case, and then later when the other seasons came out, they j- completely changed the the packaging style so it bugs me to no end that i have three seasons of snl in the first kind of packaging that they released and then the last two are in a slightly smaller different kind of case um and they've done the same thing with other shows too where like i bought the first like five seasons of 30 rock and then the later seasons they came out with these thinner cases and so like the last couple seasons are thinner and don't like it's not it doesn't look quite right when they're all they're all together (laughs) (laughs) well you know, that's not as bad as when they stop uh, releasing seasons for a show. Like, I, uh, a publicist we know named Marshall has a huge collection of DVDs and Blu-ray, and I, he's, he's a, b- a big Roseanne fan. And I know, like, he was, like, collecting the Roseanne on TV collection. And I think at some point they just, like, maybe they weren't selling enough, or I don't know. Maybe just people were watching stuff on streaming, so they stopped producing it. So, like, he has, like, half of the run of Roseanne on you know, physical media, and then they stopped, like, releasing them. <laughs> that, that, to me, would be worse, but I, I definitely see that uh, that point. Uh, you know, I, I think we are at about the time. We Even though we had some more questions, we'll get to them at a later time. Brad, where can people find more of your work online? Always on SlashFilm.com, on Twitter, at Ethan underscore Anderton, and on my own podcast, Go Flix Yourself, on iTunes and some other podcasting platforms. HT, where can we find you? Also every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. Chris, where can we find you? Uh, hey, also SlashFilm.com <laughs> and Twitter, uh, C Evangelista 413 
one of these days I'm expecting hate mail over the fact that everybody says slash home dot com of where you can find them, but it has not happened yet. But now that messaging. <laughs> also, what? Subliminal messaging. That's what it is. We yeah. just keep repeating it. Well, the whole point of this Ash, podcast, we don't make any guys. Guys, we don't make any money off this podcast, or we have not found out found a way to to make money off this podcast. So you know. We make money every, off the every, site. Every other podcast I listen to is sponsored by Audible. Why aren't we sponsored by Audible? I know. What's up, Audible? Let's get on that, that, that Audible shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah every day, uh, HT could recommend a new book. Yes. Audible, it's true. please call us. Um, okay. Anyways, uh, you can find me at Slash Home on all social media. You can find. Uh, Actually, there was no stories on this podcast, so you can't find anything on SlashFilm.com. But I will, I will link some of those um, the Disney Channel original movies. I'll link the trailers in the show notes. And, and the then it just Good Burger. It just occurred to me: Do they make trailers for a TV original movie? Because like they're they not had, from the older ones. I don't think they did. They had like TV spots, but nothing that was like trailer sized. Well, I will, I will see what I can find. Um, and uh, you can subscribe to this podcast, which is published every weekday uh, on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. And uh, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, you know, we do this mailbag segment from time to time. Uh, we're still trying to work our way through uh, our backlog of questions. But if you have a good question that you want to hear us try to answer uh, – Send your question to Peter at SlashFilm.com, or you can just send your general comments and concerns and feedback. Uh, we uh, we appreciate all the email. We get. Uh, I, I appreciate – it makes us very happy to hear how much uh, you guys are enjoying this uh, podcast. Um, please go to iTunes. Give us a very positive review. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you next time.